0: Well, we're in a series called ID, but we're taking a break, not really a break. Uh, We are hitting a part of Ephesians that talks about marriage, and instead of kind of going at the same pace that we've been going at, going through the book, we decided that we would slow down and spend three weeks talking about marriage, and in fact, today, we will really not even look at the Ephesians passage Uh, Next week, we'll look at that. I want to set it up so that we know kind of what we're looking at when we read what Paul wrote about marriage in Ephesians. So we're going to have a good time, and I want to make just a couple of preliminary remarks about marriage before uh, we dive in. Uh, The first thing to say is that I know how probably the conversation went in some of your households, especially if you are coming for the marriage series. You know, maybe it was uh, your wife that found out that, uh, that a marriage series was going to be taught, and she said something like, oh, honey, look, at Mariners, they're going to be speaking about marriage. And your response was, that's great. Why don't you go and take notes? <laughs> and uh, it's sort of an interesting thing, just uh, a little stereotypic, but uh, men and women tend, husbands and wives, tend to focus on getting counsel about marriage or talking about marriage in a really, really different way. And uh, whereas very often women like to talk about that, they want to talk about it, they're interested in figuring out feelings and why do you do this and all that. And guys, uh, we tend to just be like, hey, if it's not broke, don't worry about it. I mean, as long as it's kind of moving forward. And I thought I would just give you women a little bit of help so that you would understand how we see it. If you're driving in the car and the car starts to rattle, ladies, what's your attitude about that? It's probably like, oh, well, the car's still running. Everything is good. Uh, your husband may say, no, no, do you hear that rattle? That's, that's, I wonder what that is. You know, he like crawls into the back seat and he's trying to listen to something. And you're like, why would we talk about the rattle? The car is still running. Well, that's kind of how we think about marriage. You know, it's still moving. So why do we need to talk about it? But I want to say this, guys. It is good for us to spend time talking about it because good marriages can be made better. And if you're struggling in your marriage, which a lot of us are, even if nobody else knows it, um, talking about it, getting some counsel about it, moving forward, talking to our spouse about it, those are all really, really good things. So anyway, I'm encouraged that you're here. I hope uh, you'll sort of sign on for the next three weeks so that we can do this together. Uh, The series really is very much meant to hold together together So uh, make it for the next two weeks after this, and we will be good. Let me also say this. Uh, Many of you are single that are here, and I just want to commend you for being here, especially if you knew that we were going to talk about marriage, because let me tell you something. Ninety percent of people in the United States get married. And if you're single, what that means is you probably are going to get married if you're not married now. Some of you would say, I've already been there, done that, not planning on it again. Uh, You might be surprised. Sometimes uh, God has different plans in mind. But even if uh, marriage is not where you're at, and you don't even think it's going to be where you're at, there are principles that you're going to learn in this series I think will be really helpful for other relationships. And the other part of that is even if you're not married, marriage is important. Having good marriages in our church is really important. So, uh, singles, you participate with us in our community, and you can help us in our marriages. So, anyway, I want to commend you if you're here and you're not married. uh, This will be a good series for you as well. Okay, I think those are all the preliminaries. Um, Think back, if you're married, to your wedding day, all right? Think back to that day, whether it was just a few years ago or maybe a few decades ago, but think back. And there was something that you carried into the church or carried into your wedding uh, that you weren't even aware of. And I'm going to show it in a physical way. It wasn't physical. But when you uh, came down the aisle, you carried a box of hopes, dreams, and desires. Things that you were hoping would happen in your marriage. We all do it. It's the reason that we get married. is because there are certain things that we're looking to get out of marriage. And uh, now that you had found the right person and you're ready to take the step, there were these things that you were sort of hoping. And I'm going to point out some that are really typical that we very often hope about. Uh, but maybe as you were coming down the aisle, you were thinking, you know what? I can hardly wait till we buy our first house. And you were thinking, oh, my gosh, i just got, it'll be so cool. We'll be in a house, and it will have maybe a little picket fence kind of a thing, and it will just be, it'll be so awesome. And, you know, if our luck holds out, you know, it'll be by the ocean, and that will be a great thing, you know, it'll be very cool. And, and so you sort of had that whole idea in mind. And maybe as you were kind of thinking about it, you also thought, you know what, and we are, we are going to have kids. And maybe you thought, you know, we're going to wait. We're going to wait for five years. That's sort of the magic time, right? You wait for five years so you get the marriage thing straight, and then you're going to have kids. Or you think, no, no, we're going to start right off. The the clock is ticking. Let's get the kid thing going. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, we're going to have a huge family. Maybe it's like, you know, as long as we get one out there, I think that we're doing good. But, you know, you have some expectations or or some hopes, dreams, and desires about kids. The other thing you're probably thinking about, this will be so great because while we were engaged, everything is so hassled and we're not living maybe in the same place and we never have time for each other, but time is going to slow down once we get married. Once we get married, we'll have all the time in the world. We won't have to say goodnight to each other and drive off to different places or, you know, living with different people. It will be so great when we just have as much time as we want to have. And maybe you're thinking, and you know what, marriage is going to be so fun so fun you know it's all these things we're going to we're going to go bike riding together and we're going to go on vacations together and you know we'll party together and you know we'll just have these nice long romantic walks on the beach you know everybody's got different ideas of fun i guess and you're just sort of thinking it will be so fun just to to be together and and just do all these things that we hold in common and maybe you're thinking too you know Uh, because a lot of us actually bring this in, whether we know it or not, is, you know, I think, you know, my wife is going to be just like mom. A little perverted, but okay, you know, and you just sort of think, you know, I just have sort of these expectations, and my mom was such a good wife and such a good mother, and I just think that, you know, that will be really cool. Or, on the other side, you know, some of you are like, my husband will be just like my dad, you know, and he could fix anything, and it'll be awesome, you know, and he's a guy's guy, and he shoots guns, and choose tobacco and all that kind of stuff. And then you're thinking about your friends, and you're thinking, you know, it'll be so great because we're going to have friends in common. You might be able to see that or might not. Little friends picture there of the friends on the TV show. But you're thinking, you know, our friends will get together. They'll all be best friends. Or maybe you're thinking our friends will never meet. We don't want our friends together. But whatever it is, you have some dreams and desires when it comes to that. And then, guys, let's just be totally honest. You all have hopes, dreams, and desires of what your wife will not wear to bed. And so, you know, you're sort of thinking, you know, I, I, you know she, she doesn't even have to wear anything. I'd be totally fine with that. And, uh, and, and women, you're just thinking, you know, all my husband will care about is that I'm comfortable, and it won't matter what I'm wearing to bed, because he'll only think about my comfort and my, you know, just, that's all he's going to be thinking about. But you do have hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to that. So anyway, we come down with these hopes, dreams, and desires, and that's good. It's natural. You know, it's sort of the way that things work. It's why we get married, right? We're hoping that we're going to get some things out of the marriage. But there's one other thing that happened the day that you were married. And um, you probably remember this because it's sort of the central part of the ceremony. But that is that you exchange vows, right? Right? Did you exchange? Because if you didn't, we're in trouble. That's like legally you have to exchange vows. Um, and in fact, I just thought it would be so cool if we just did a little brush your upper on the vows here, okay? So here's what I'd like to do, and this is so cool. If you're single, but there's somebody here that you're sort of interested in, you might want to just take a second and move next to them, because I am a pastor. I'm a licensed pastor, and we're kind of in a church, and you could go home with something you weren't expecting after our thing today. But uh, why don't you all stand up? Just stand up. We're going to have a little bit of fun with this. If, uh, if you've already done this once, this can be sort of a renewal of your vows. You know, take it for what it is. If you're with your spouse, you know, like grab their hand and just say, this is saving me so much money that I don't have to do this down the line. We renewed our vows, remember? It was in August, I think. Yeah, church. And if you've never done it, this is great practice, okay? Because you're going to have to learn how to repeat, and you don't want to blow it in front of a whole church. So we'll just sort of run you through the vows here, okay? We're going to do it all together. We're not going to split men and women we're just gonna all take our vows together are y'all ready for this you so excited about this I promise there will be no other group participation after this okay so don't like go for the doors it's okay alright so it's a repeat after me thing right okay so you're gonna I'm gonna say I Kevin but you know you probably shouldn't say Kevin unless your name is Kevin All right, so just put your name in and we'll sort of get I think you guys will get it right you ready here we go I Kevin That was beautiful. In the presence of God and these assembled witnesses. witnesses. Okay, you're not losing the opportunity to be grabbing your spouse's hand here, right? Okay, just want to make sure. Promise to love and to cherish. cherish. In In sickness and in health. In prosperity and adversity. The person whose hand I now hold. That was so funny. Some of you just let go of hands when we said that. All right, all right, here we go. I promise to be in all things true and faithful. All things true and faithful as long as I shall live. Do you agree to this? No, you don't say yes, not in a wedding. You say, I do. All right, let's try it again. Do you agree to this? I do. Do you take this person next to you to be your lawful wedded spouse as long as you both shall live? I do. Don't say yes. It's I do. I do. All right. You can be seated. All right. Some of you are like, wait a second. I thought the honeymoon comes next. What are we doing here? That's up to you. That's on your own time. All right. So let me just point this out, though, in kind of all humor aside. What you have just made is an unconditional commitment to this person that you're spending the rest of your life with. Uh, vows are meant to be an unconditional statement. That's why, you know, in sickness and in health in adversity and prosperity, to be true and faithful as long as we shall live. There is, what we're saying, basically, is there's nothing that could happen. There's nothing this person could do. There is no way that we won't honor this commitment. And here's the thing about a vow. Vows are not about your hopes, dreams, and desires. Guess whose hopes, dreams, and desires vows are about? Your spouse's. It's about your spouse's hopes, dreams, and desires. You're making a commitment to help your spouse reach his or her hopes, dreams, and desires. That's really what the vows are. And you start to see that there is this, actually this tension that comes in right from the get-go of a marriage. We don't even know that this is happening. We don't even realize this is happening. But we're bringing in these thoughts of these things that we're hoping for, And yet we're making this commitment and we stand in front of a church and we stand in front of our parents and even in front of God, our friends and our family, everyone, and we say, I am saying in front of all these people and in front of this person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, I'm making an unconditional commitment to you. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do for me. This is what I'm committing to do for you. So... Uh, you don't need to uh, probably have a huge imagination to start realizing a tension that is built in. It's the give and take of marriage. And most of us say, well, most relationships have give and take. But let me explain something. Let me play this out a little bit. And most of us have lived this out. So if you're married, I think that you'll say, yeah, I kind of know how this is going to go. It's funny. We walk down the aisle at the end of the wedding and we think, not only am I so excited that I've made this commitment, not only am I so excited to be with this person, but this really isn't gonna be that hard. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so there is this really interesting thing that takes place. It might be right after the wedding, it might be on your honeymoon. We have these desires and dreams and hopes. Uh, We'll leave the ocean there. Uh, and we have all these things that we're sort of thinking that, that it's going to be about. It does not take long before our hopes, dreams, and desires become expectations. Now these aren't just hopes, dreams, and desires. Now I kind of expect this person I'm married to to step up and to do these things that I brought into the marriage. These hopes, dreams, and desires. I'm really hoping that these things will actually come to fruition. And what happens is that as we go along for a while and these things maybe don't happen or our spouse doesn't seem to be quite as interested in it as we are, we start to feel tension and pressure. I'm not getting what I want to get out of this marriage. I'm not getting the things that I thought we signed up for. In fact, I thought that when we were standing in that church that day, I thought I heard you say that you are going to do all these things to fulfill my hopes, dreams, and desires. And yet here we are, and we're two years into it, we're five years into it, some of these very basic things that we talked about before we got married. It's not like I'm throwing it on you now. We said we were going to get this house. We said we were going to start the family. You know, you sort of implied that you were going to get a great job and you were going to make a lot of money. And I'm sort of banking on that. And what's happening here? I don't see us moving in that direction. Or you said that once we got married, you know, we'd do all these really sort of fun things. We'd go for bike rides and we'd, you know, do this, we'd scale a mountain together, whatever the things are. You said that and it's not happening. And what's going on here? There seems to be a real problem. And what's interesting is we have different ways then of negotiating what these problems are. We have different ways of of trying to figure this out. Although what's really interesting is, do you know, uh, the highest uh, divorce rate is within the first two years of a marriage. More people get divorced after two years. And why do you think that is? Expectations. Expectations are not met. And very early on, somebody says, You know what? I made a huge mistake. I'm marrying the wrong person. This is not the right person. Well, that might be the issue and it might not. It's expectations that all of a sudden start to really put a lot of pressure. If we can make it through the first two years, then what we do very often is we negotiate with our spouse. And we come up with what you might consider sort of the 50-50 compromise. And this is the idea that if you do your part, I'll do my part, and we'll both get what we want. So, you know, if you'll let me watch ESPN, I'll let you watch Dancing with the Stars. You know, if you clean the outside of the house, I'll clean the inside of the house. If you feed the children, I will bathe the children. And we get sort of this 50 50 thing going, and we think, you know what? This is great. Because I'm, I, you know, I'm doing certain things for my spouse, and my spouse is doing certain things for me. This just works really, really well. And now we're both getting what we want to get. Here's the problem. We don't always stay at 50-50, right? Or at least perception is we don't stay at 50-50. So, you know, I, I come in and I say, hey, outside of the house looks great. What happened to the inside of the house? This does not look great hey, I'm doing my part, you're not doing your part. Uh, Or, you know, you've been watching ESPN, like, you know, for 24 hours straight. And uh, I thought that we were going to split the TV watching. What's going on with that? In other words, uh, we start to keep sort of tally. If you're doing your 50%, uh, then I'll do my 50%. But if you're not going to do your part, I'm not doing my part. I'll wait until you do your part, and then I'll do my part. Can you see that a problem starts to arise when we do this kind of thing, this kind of negotiating, and it's like, you know what? Don't be so focused on my part. If you would just do your part, we'd all be okay. We'd all be just fine. 50-50 doesn't work because 50-50 doesn't take into account that we're human and we fail and we can't always hit the 50%. Some people say it's not 50-50. Have you ever heard, instead of 50-50, it should be 100-100? In other words, create a lot of overlap. I'm going to go 100% of the way for you, which means I'm going to do all these things without any expectation. And now we've got big overlap. Now we're okay. Now even if I fall a little bit short, we're still covering the bases. But here's the point of a 50-50 compromise. 50-50 compromise still means that expectations, it still means that what I want to get out of the marriage is the primary thing that's driving the marriage. It is still this idea of I want, I want, I've got needs, I've got expectations. Now, I may be willing to take care of some of yours to make sure mine get met, but this is still a problem. Let me just mention one other problem because this is not uncommon. It doesn't happen in all relationships. Sometimes, and some of you may be sitting there and thinking, we don't have this problem in our marriage. I pretty much, I feel like we totally meet each other's needs. And everything that I want my spouse to do, I feel pretty good about it. I think my spouse is doing a great job with that. Well, before you pat yourself on the back, uh, let me just mention another dynamic that can happen in a relationship. And that is that naturally one person is more dominant than the other person. They just tend to have a personality that sort of pushes forward and maybe it's a little more aggressive. Very often we marry someone that's opposite from us in that. You know, if I tend to be a little more passive, I'm going to marry someone that's probably a little more dominant and vice versa. And here's what happens. Dominant people always think the marriage is going great. Why is that? Because they're dominating. Because it's like, my spouse is taking care of my stuff. Because I make it really clear, this is what I need, this is what I want. We, we have this way of maybe arguing really well or presenting the facts in a sort of relentless kind of a way till finally our spouse goes, OK, 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 OK. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, all right, fine. Take care of the inside of the house. But here's what's happening, is a great tension is being created in the relationship when we push in that direction. And what happens is that the, the more passive or submissive spouse, the one that is sort of taking it all in, they're like a rubber band, and they stretch and they stretch and they stretch. And what happens when you stretch a rubber band too much? It snaps. And uh, this is such a common pattern uh, where uh, one person is, is, seems to be very happy in the marriage. The other person is very unhappy in the marriage but doesn't say anything about it or is not straightforward about it. And when the snap occurs, when the snap occurs, the dominant person is totally taken by surprise. What? I thought everything was great. I thought everything was running perfectly. I know that we're not perfect, but I mean, I thought that everything was just going so smoothly. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me that you were bummed out about, well, I tried to, I tried, and you just wouldn't listen. Well, you know, this is ridiculous. I can't believe, and just so that, because I've sat in a lot of marriage counseling, listening to couples talk about this, uh, there's a switch in people's heads. And that switch is on toward the marriage, obviously, when you get married and you move for a long, long time in that. But when the switch finally gets tripped and moves to, now I just need to get out of this thing, it is very difficult to make that switch go back on. And so I guess here's what I want to say. As long as we're maneuvering around expectations, as long as we're thinking primarily, how do I get what I need to get out of this marriage? Uh, Whether you work the 50-50 deal and you're both just sort of negotiating, you know, how much do I need to do to make sure that I get done what I need done? um, Or you're in more of this relationship where you're maybe the more dominant person. Or let me just tell you, if you are the more passive person, it is your job to say something. You can't just say, well... You don't know my spouse. They are just overwhelming to me. You know what? You married them. You need to say something. You need to give them a heads up. This is not working. This is not working. We're going to need some help here. Uh, Because once the switch gets, gets tripped, it's very hard to bring it back. So those may be some things to discuss later on today. Maybe those pleasant discussions just go down to the ocean and you can do that together. It will be a good thing, right? All right, so now let me tell you what happens when we do the expectation thing. We actually enter into uh, a marriage that we could call a marriage contract contract. Okay, And we work with contracts all the time, right? I mean, that's part of what our society is built on. Contracts are mutually beneficial to people. It's the idea of I do my part, you do your part. That's why we should come together. And a contract makes sure that both people are doing the part that they agreed to, right? You guys are familiar with contracts. Uh, You know what? Uh, Well, let me just ask you this. Is marriage a contract? Do you think marriage should be a contract where we both sort of negotiate? This is what I'm expecting to get out. We'll come together and we will agree around this contract that this is what's happening. You think that's a good way to run a marriage? All right, not a great way to run a marriage. It is the way most people run a marriage. Not consciously, it is subconscious, but we really think in terms of contract. I'll do my part, you do your part, we'll both benefit. When it is not of benefit to us in a contract, what happens to a contract when one or both parties say this doesn't benefit us anymore? What do you do with a contract? You break it. You rip it up. Hey, it's not beneficial anymore. Do you ever think, as you look out just around society, that people think in terms of marriage as a contract? And then it's like, hey, you know what? This isn't working for me. We've just fallen out of love. You know, we've just grown apart. There's no reason to stay together anymore. That's a contract mentality. So here's what I want to do. Today, we're we're pretty much just talking about the problems of marriage today, okay? So I'm really hoping you come back the next two weeks because those are going to be the solution side of things. But I want to make sure that we hit the problems so that when we start building it back, we understand why it's important to build it back. There's three things that happen in a contract. The first one is that you enter into a debt-debtor relationship. Now, here's what a debt-debtor relationship is. It is basically the idea that if you don't live up to what you agreed to do, or what I think you should do, you owe me, you owe me, or I have my rights, and you 're violating my rights and in a debt debtor relationship that 's the way that it works is i 've got expectations, and if you don 't meet those, you owe me, or you 're violating my rights, and that becomes a huge problem in our relationship now let 's just play this out okay so Let's say that both people are doing this with each other. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. You swore to me that we would do this. You said that you promised that we would get this thing done. I've done my part. I don't see this really coming through. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. Here's the problem with you owe me philosophy. The you owe me philosophy makes it impossible for your spouse to show you love. And let me show you what I mean. Okay, so uh, how many of you have a mortgage? Okay, you pay a mortgage. Okay, how many of you have ever had your bank send you a gift card because you have been paying your mortgage? Really? (laughs) Banks don't tend to send gift cards around that. You know, if you're sending your mortgage, what what do you hear from your bank? Nothing. And uh, some of you have tried to contact your banks at times. And is it like, purgatory, to try and go through and contact a bank and talk to somebody in person, I have a way that you can get personal attention from your bank. Stop paying your mortgage. (laughs) Stop paying your mortgage. At first, you'll get a really nice letter, probably personalized to you. First time you've ever gotten a personalized letter from a bank, and it will have to do with this fact that you're not paying your mortgage. But it even gets better than that, because if you continue to neglect to pay your mortgage, you'll get a phone call. You could never reach them. They'll reach you. They'll bend over backwards to reach you. Because in a debt-debtor relationship, it's never a win to do what's expected. It's only a loss when you don't. And you can see in a relationship how devastating that becomes, that the only time you get attention from your spouse is when you don't match up to the expectations that he or she has sent. Or conversely, the only time you give attention to your spouse is when they're not coming through on what you thought we agreed on, on what their part of the deal is. So when Julie and I got married, uh, we, uh, like most couples, didn't have a lot of money And so uh, I took it on myself to be the person that would manage the bank account and make sure that money was handled in the proper way, that we budgeted, that we paid attention to all the details of that, that the bills got paid, all those kinds of things. I felt like that's my job. I'm the guy. I'll take care of the money situation in the house. And so Julie... Uh, started trying to work within this system that I set up. And my system was so anal and so rigid and so preposterous. When I look back on it now, I crack up. Uh, not really. Julie doesn't crack up either. But I look back on that, and I just think, oh my gosh, that was so bad. Here's what we would do. All right. And I already know. I already know this is lame, OK? So you don't have to say, oh, that's so lame. I know. All right, so every day after work, we would come home. I'd say, Julie, what did you spend money on? <laughs> uh, don't even, don't even, all right. You did. Some of you aren't laughing because you still do this, all right. I know, I know, you still do this. She would tell me. And uh, I'd say, now, are you sure? Is that every- You didn't go to lunch, did you? Did you go to lunch? You went to lunch, didn't you? Did you spend money at lunch? Well, just give me that, a- $1.20, okay, got it. And we would go all the way through. And this was back in the day when nothing's electronic, it's balancing, you know, checkbooks and so forth. And at the end I balance up the checkbook and she'd be off by you know three dollars and forty-two cents. And I go, what is this? What is this? This is not and it was pretty much like Julie, listen, here's the deal. I spend all my time running our finances. The least you could do, your part is to report in. It's to report in. Come on, that's all you've got to do. Now, All right, everybody looks at that and goes, how lame can that be? Because here's the truth. If Julie, down to the penny, reports everything, is totally responsible with the money in every single instance, what is she going to get from me? Nothing. Because I expect it. Because it's owed to me. Why would I give her a gift card for paying the mortgage? But if she's off just a little, what is she gonna get from me? A bunch of crap. I'm gonna make her life miserable because you broke this expectation that I have. And here, see, here's the problem with the debt-debtor relationship, is there's no way to win in it. All you can do is lose. It's set up for failure. It's set up for nitpicking. It's set up for being critical and criticism, and banging on each other. That's how it's set up, a debt-debtor relationship. It spills out of a contract thought about marriage. You owe me. So that's the first thing that you have to watch for. And, you know, as I give my illustration, I, I know that you've got similar illustrations, maybe not quite as lame as mine, but you've got your ways, you've got your things. How clean does the house have to be? What is the cleanliness factor on it? If something's out of place, how do you handle that? You know, when it comes to how a vacation is handled or how we raise our kids, do you have, you owe me, these are my expectations, this is debt-debtor here. You need to realize that that is just killer. And in fact, here's what the greatest danger is, it just wipes romance out of a marriage. I mean, who's romantic with their bank, right? It just wipes romance out, because there's no way to win. There's no way to have something special. There's no kind of surprise. It has to be after all the expectations are met. Maybe if you exceed that, but who can live with that? So what happens is you start to live as roommates. You know what? You just We negotiate our relationship, not a lot of romance. You know Maybe we're intimate every once in a while, because you know married couples supposed to do that kind of thing, but there's just really no pizzazz in the relationship. And if you've wondered, why is there no pizzazz in our relationship, look into the debt debtor, see if that's how you're operating with your spouse. Because that will kill pizzazz. It's a pizzazz killer. Here's the second thing that we think in a contract. We think that we're entering into it with another party, that it's a two-party contract. That's very often how we think about this thing. It's just between me and my spouse. Nobody else has to be engaged in our marriage. Nobody has to worry about our marriage. If there's problems in our marriage, we'll take care of it by ourselves. It's nobody else's business. This is between my wife and me. This is between my husband and me. No one else has to be engaged. Now, that is a total fallacy, just so let's be really clear about that. Other people are involved in your marriage. Let me just ask you do you ever talk to anyone else about your marriage? You don't have to raise your hand because you're probably sitting next to somebody that you're married to right now. But you know what? We talk. We talk, especially if we're frustrated. We talk. We find people that will listen to us. Do you think your spouse talks to other people about your marriage? Well, if you don't think so, you're in for a big, rude awakening. Of course, of course, we talk. We, talk. we bring people into our marriage all the time. We, we bounce ideas off of them. We grouse about things at times. You know, Sometimes we say, oh, it was so great, whatever it is. We do that. Furthermore, let me just say, before you get angry about that, it is a good thing. Good marriages are within the context of good community. Really, that's how God has designed it. We aren't supposed to go through it by ourselves. Whenever I do premarital counseling with people, one of the major things I talk to them about, you, who are your friends? And if they say, well, we both have single friends, I say, well, you're going to have to get new friends. And it has to be a very high priority. You need to find other couples that you walk alongside of. And I always look at the woman and I say, listen, it is essential if you want to be a great wife that you have friends, female friends, that you can talk to about your marriage. It is not optional. You've got to have good, solid friends that are committed to your marriage. And guys, I know we hate to talk. You want to be a good husband, later on a good father, you've got to have other men that you talk to. You just do. You need to have that balance. You need to have the safe place where you can vent. You need to have people that give you input and hold you steady when you're not so steady. It is never meant to be just between two people. It involves community. But you know what? Even beyond that, Jesus said a really interesting thing, and we are going to get to a little bit of Bible study today. Uh, Let me bring up a passage. Jesus was asked about marriage one time, and here's what he said about marriage. Uh, Some of the Pharisees came to him, it says in Matthew 19, verse 3. They asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator created them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then listen to this last statement. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. All right, now there, Jesus is saying, there's a third party that comes in to your two-party deal. And who is the third party? God. In fact, it says here that God actually is the one that brought you together. And you thought it was just your charm that brought you together. And from a theological standpoint, the Bible says, no, God brought you together. It wasn't by accident that you met and fell in love with your spouse. God was orchestrating that. God was bringing you two together. He considers himself a partner in your marriage. He never considers it a two-person deal. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week. What does it mean to bring God into your marriage? How does that actually work? What does that look like? But it's very dangerous, and it's contract thinking to think it's just between you and your spouse. It isn't. It involves other people in the community, and it definitely involves God. If you want a good marriage, God has to be a part of your relationship. Now, here's the third thing. The third thing that happens... Uh, the, you know, the first is we do the debt-debtor relationship. The second one is that we think that it's a two-party deal. And the third one is that we think that it's a provisional commitment. That means for the time being. And it sort of works this way. As long as this is still working for me, then I will still be committed to this plan. But as soon as it doesn't work for me anymore, I reserve the right to get out. And um, it would be a whole different discussion to talk Uh, in any kind of detail about divorce. And I know that many of you have been divorced. And this is not uh, a series really to bang on people that have gotten divorced. But I will say this, and I think you'll agree if you've been divorced. Divorce is not a good thing, right? I mean, you're the one, if you've been divorced, that would say, you know, my marriage sucked. And I'm not saying my marriage was a good thing, the way that we were working it. But divorce was not a good thing either. Divorce is very painful. It's very hard. I can understand why God would say that divorce is not his number one option for how life should be led. People that are divorced are the first to say that. They're the first ones to tell us divorce is terrible. So all God is saying here is, yes, divorce is not my plan. That's not the way that I have set this up to work. It's not provisional. It's not for the time being. Marriage is meant to be a lifetime commitment. That is the best way that it works. One of the things Julie and I realized in about our first five years of marriage, and now you know one of the reasons as uh, I talk about how we handled our finances, why this might have been the case, but we really struggled in the first five years of our marriage. and uh, Julie and I taught, you know, especially Julie, she was more aware of how much it was awful than I was, which probably means I was a little more dominant too. Um, But I remember for really months and even years, she'd say, I'm not happy. I'm not happy in our relationship. I'm not happy with what's going on. But one of the things we committed to right at the beginning is we said, but divorce will not be our option. We're not going to get divorced. So we can either stay together for the next 60 years and be miserable, or we can work on this thing. And I'm really glad to say that we decided to work on it, and we have a good marriage now. We have a marriage that we both really enjoy, and we're committed to each other, and we like that. But there was a season where it would have been the easiest thing just to say, we're done. This is not mutually beneficial anymore. We could both be happier if we weren't in this relationship. But this is the point, is that God says, unless you work through those times, you won't get to the good times. You won't get to the times where your life is actually changed or you're forged together or you build something that is so, so treasured unless you go through that. That's part of what you go through and you need this attitude. One, times, one time Ruth Graham, who was married to Billy Graham, was asked, have you ever considered divorce? And she said, divorce, no, murder, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I guess, You know, consider murder, don't consider divorce, all right? Because divorce, what happens is when we divorce, we very often just bring the problems that we never solved in that marriage to the next relationship that we have. And you might as well get it straight in this first one. Get it straight in this first one. I know that there's all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't, and I know that there's all kinds of specific illustrations that you could give. I'm just saying the general idea from God. is that this is not provisional. And Jesus said it a little bit later as he's talking in the same section in Matthew 19, starting now in verse 7. He says, uh, they were asking him, uh, the Pharisees, why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give a wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? In other words, there was a provision in the Old Testament Jewish law that you could divorce your wife. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I will tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus makes a very strong statement. And the point is, marriage is not provisional. It is not a contract. You can't just, you know, sort of eliminate the contract because it's not working. The idea is that this is a lifetime commitment. Thinking of our marriages as a contract is a huge problem. And many of the troubles that we have in our marriage is exactly because we think that way. We think contract. But there's another way to think. And we're going to talk about this next week, but I just want to introduce the idea. In Malachi, which is an Old Testament book, uh, the prophet is talking about uh, marriages that are not being handled well. And as we read about it, we see that it's because they think they're like a contract. And then Malachi makes a really interesting statement about what marriage really is. Uh, Malachi says this in chapter 2, verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. This was specifically talking about marriages, marriages that aren't working. You weep and wail because uh, he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. And then this is the key the wife of your marriage covenant. Covenant is the way that God sees marriage. And the biggest difference between a contract and a covenant is a contract asks, What do I get? And a covenant asks, What do I give? It's the biggest difference between a contract and a covenant. A covenant says, What do I give? It is the reason that you exchange vows and not a list of hopes, dreams, and desires at your wedding, is because a wedding is seen as a time of ratifying a covenant between two people and next week we'll talk about what does it mean to make your marriage a covenant but let me tell you how beautiful this works out to when it works there's a guy that I know uh, back in South Carolina president of a university and uh, he and his wife had been married for years and years and they were getting up in age and she contracted Alzheimer's disease And uh, they lived on the campus because, as the president, uh, it was important that he had access. And so they lived on the campus. And, you know, at first it was a little bit inconvenient, but it progressed and progressed and progressed and got worse and worse and worse. And as well as being a president, he also taught in the classroom. Uh, One day, as it was getting really bad, Muriel showed up, and she was still in her nightgown. She had walked across the campus to see her husband. Her feet were cut because she was not wearing shoes. She walked in. And she finally found her husband, and she had terror in her eyes because she she had thought he had left her. And so he realized at that point that he couldn't just go on and act like we're just going to live as we've always been living. So he went to his board, and he said, I need to step down as the president of this university. And uh, at this time now, when this finally happened, she didn't even recognize him. She didn't even know when he was in the room. And they said, you know, we really admire that you want to do that. But, you know, your wife doesn't even know who you are. She doesn't even know when you're there. And he said, but I know. And he said, maybe somebody else could take care of her, but I should take care of her. And that is covenant. That's a covenant relationship. That's a relationship that doesn't say what's in it for me. It says, what can I give to help my spouse realize her dreams, hopes, and desires? That's covenant. And it is so unnatural for us. We don't think covenant. We think contract. But I want to invite you to sort of get on board for the next two weeks where we talk about, so how do you do that? I mean, how do you actually do that? And I want to give you just a couple of things to do this week, okay? And you're sort of like, oh, great, I knew it. We're going to have these marriage exercises. Great. Some of you are getting up and leaving. It's just terrible. No. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to sing. She's coming up to sing. It's all okay. No. It's all okay. No, let me just mention a couple things. And these are not things you're going to do with your spouse. You're so excited. They're just things I want you to think about. Here's the first thing I want you to think about. How thankful are you for what your spouse does for you? When we think debt-debtor, we're not thankful hardly at all because our spouse never exceeds our expectations. Maybe our spouse meets them but doesn't exceed them. And I want you to take time this week to really think through, what am I thankful for? What does my spouse do? That makes my life better. Whatever that is. You know, here's the deal. This is not an issue of whether your spouse does a lot or a little. This is an issue of what do you recognize? How do you see things? What lens do you see things through? Are you somebody that thinks through the lens of gratitude, or do you think more in terms of, I, I'm owed? So this week, even if you have to make a list, And maybe a list just in your mind. Here's what I'm so grateful for. Here's what I have gratitude toward. The second thing I'd like you to do is wherever your marriage is now, imagine a marriage where you lived in covenant with your spouse. Where the focus wasn't, what do I get? But what do I give? How much different would that marriage look like if you both operated with that mindset? What can I give my spouse? How can I make my spouse, spouse's life better? Uh, how can I recognize the things that she wants and help her move in that direction, or the things he wants and help him move? Imagine how different that would be, because here's the deal. It's possible. It is possible. And in fact, you, even if your spouse doesn't participate, have a huge amount of control over changing the way your marriage works just by adopting a new attitude, just by operating in a different way. So here's, uh, I want you to do those two things. Two really specific things of homework is I want you to read, and they're, in your, they're on your outline, so you can get them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, there's a section in there. I want you to ask the question, because we're going to start next week with this. What does my spouse owe me? Read that little section of scripture and just answer the question. What, what does my spouse owe me? and we'll start there and then i want you to read the passage in ephesians that we'll be looking at the next two weeks which is ephesians chapter five you'll see the verses there 21 starting moving forward i want you to read that and be prepared for us to study it for next week okay all good all right let me pray for us and then we're going to i think worship to close out our time right Jaris? we're good let's pray lord thank you so much for this time to talk about marriage and I know that today we really focus mostly on negative things and how our marriages have gotten into a mess maybe if they are or even maybe just a little off. And I pray that you give us courage to look honestly at where we are and I pray that you give us hope that things can move forward. And that's the only reason we talk about the negatives, Father, is so that you can help us make it better. And I pray that you would help us with that. Uh, For those that are in this room that have gone through a really hard marriage and maybe are divorced at this time, I pray that you continue to heal them. And I pray that you would teach them now the lessons you want them to know on this side of things, Uh, whether it's for them in the future in a relationship or just to help other couples at this point, which could be a ministry in and of itself. Uh, We pray for the single people here too, the ones that have never married. And we pray that you would prepare them because... Lord, we know it's not an issue of finding the right person in a marriage. It's an issue of becoming the right person. And I pray right now that our single folks would think of it that way. Thank you so much that you are a God. You even say in your word, in a sense, you married us. And you have shown covenant love for us. And we are grateful. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.